John 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on, spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how, could, how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. The others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for a man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how can he see now? Or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was a Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already. You did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. 
You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening his eyes of a man born blind. If this were not a man from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? As they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you, with you. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so the blind will see, and those who will see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. And now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Thank you so much, Vicky. Short notice asked there, and she got up the plate and read excellently, so thank you very, very much. Um, in terms of the, for where we're at, uh, we've got into this series, we're into John 9, uh, where we're discovering through this book, John's desire as Jesus' follower to reveal more and more the wonder of who Jesus is. And as we see more and more of the wonder of who Jesus is, we then get to live understanding how that then shapes who we are. And that's what we're seeing week on, week out. And Today, we're going to look at this whole area of actually this story is all about seeing. Now, what we've got to understand is John 9 follows John 8, uh, which I, I, you know, each week we kind of get to these revolutionary moments of thinking, wow, groundbreaking. John 9 follows John 8. Well, last week we've been looking, which followed John 7, which was uh, all about how Jesus had arrived at this amazing festival, a festival of tabernacles, where it was this celebration of God's desire to provide for his people and the people kind of wanting to not take that for granted and therefore honoring God for his harvest, honoring God and saying, God, would you provide though as we honor you for the harvest, would you provide for us water? But along with water, which we looked at in chapter seven, there was also this one to say, actually, it's also a moment where we remember God's supernatural provision of light. And it was a season of the year, so it was in kind of the autumn time where light was starting to change. And so the days were about to kind of go to a point where it would be darker earlier and light levels would go lower. And so as part of the celebration, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, I'm not going to go into that, uh, where you can go online and listen to it, where there was these moments of kind of realizing and remembering God's provision of water through acts of ceremony, there was these moments of remembering of God's supernatural provision of light through acts of ceremony. And so in the evening, there would be this great big stand in the temple grounds that was full of four different stands that had four different kind of vats on them, hanging on them, were filled with oil. And those oil vats were lit. And at that point, you had this city that, remember, had no electricity, so it was in darkness, would suddenly become a blazing with light from this enormous light-giving source within the temple grounds. And that was part of what this ceremony is about. It's like saying, yeah, it's about celebration of what God's done, but it's also about celebration 
of our desire for God to provide for us water, but not just water that is natural, but supernatural, as we're looking and longing for the Holy Spirit, but also this longing for light that would come and illuminate our lives, that we won't be pitched into darkness, which both isn't just the natural, but also supernatural, that God would come and lead us and illuminate our lives in order that we'd be those that live in the wonder of his life that he is able to offer. And so they lit this stand that radiated light. And into that setting, as we saw last week, Dave Gooding did an excellent job in kind of allowing us to see this. Jesus comes in and says, hey, where you're looking for the light, I am the light of the world. I've come to illuminate not just this city, but the entire planet with the wonder of who God is. And therefore, as light of the world, Jesus comes and says, how am I therefore going to illuminate you? My spotlight is on you. What's that going to therefore mean? Are you going to shrivel away from it or are you going to step inside it and allow it to illuminate your life and be filled with his love and goodness and life? That's what we looked at last week. And from that setting, we get into this story. Remember, John doesn't put stories in for the sake of putting a story in. He puts this story in because he wants to illustrate something. He wants to illustrate what it looks like when the light comes and allows someone to see. And so at first take, we have this amazing story of a miracle, a miracle of a blind man seeing. But in it, John says, no, no, there's something deeper going on. Scratched below the surface is what you see isn't just someone who physically goes from a point of being blind to seeing, but also spiritually goes from a point of not understanding what's going on when suddenly his eyes are open to seeing the wonder of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And John then calls us as the readers to come along and see and say, hey, you see what's going on here in this story? I want you to see something. See something about the wonder of who Jesus is and what he does. Because as you see that, it will illuminate your life. It will illuminate your life and therefore change how you live but also illuminate your life and both transform who you are, but also begin to cause you to see the world around you and the circumstances you face in a different way. That's what's going on. So we look at seeing. I don't know if you've ever been on, I don't know, a holiday. You visited somewhere and you arrive at night. I can remember uh, a number of years ago, we used to go camping every year, and uh, someone who was very kind said, hey, I've got a holiday home in North Norfolk, would you like to go and use it? And I remember Lucy and I saying to each other, man, this sounds a lot easier than camping. Uh, we had three children, all under five, and we're thinking, man, this sounds easy. And so I remember us setting off on a Sunday evening after an evening meeting, uh, and as we drove towards North Norfolk, it got darker, the fog came in, and literally you could see nothing along the roads. And we eventually made ourselves very slowly to this holiday home, which felt like it was in the middle of nowhere, um, in utter darkness, totally disorientated, thinking, what on earth have we done? I remember going up driveways with my torch, trying to figure out which house it was, and arriving at the right house. And we, we got into this house and thinking, what have we done? It's great that we've been offered this, but we're in the middle of nowhere, it feels like. And darkness is just around. It's foggy. It's taken us literally hours to get here. We're tired. What was the point? And then I remember the next morning getting up and opening the curtains 
and the sun had risen, and suddenly we were filled with a gaze of amazing, beautiful countryside. Literally walked to the end of the road this house is on, and we were at the beach, looking out over the sea. The whole vista had changed. Our circumstances had changed. Suddenly from going to a place of we're disorientated and what have we done, we suddenly thought, oh, we can rest. This is good. And if you like, this is what John wants us to see through this passage is that when Jesus comes, he illuminates our lives in order that we can suddenly see in a way that changes everything. See, what John wants us to do first is to see clearly. He's inviting us to seeing clearly. And in it, what he wants us to do is it's like that moment where suddenly you go from a place where it's been all dark and you're wondering what the surroundings are going to look like and it feels like shady and you're kind of wondering and suddenly the sun rises and it defines everything. You think, oh, oh this is going to be all right. And through this story, John wants us to see and picture Jesus and say, hey, can you see him? Can you see the wonder of who he is? As his light illuminates the wonder of who he is through this. And so in this story, it isn't that we're to rush through and say, oh yeah, Jesus, he's the one who heals. No, no, yes, Jesus is the one who heals, and we'll get to that in a bit. But firstly, it's to take in the wonder of this portrait of Jesus that John is painting through these many, many moments, many moments of how Jesus is described. And so in it, it, you find that Jesus is described as the rabbi, as Jesus, the light of the world, the prophet, the Messiah, the son of man, the Lord. And what John's doing is he's inviting us through this story not to race through and think, all right, that's who Jesus is, carry on. No, it's to do what a guy who I listen to a lot talks about, a guy called Tim Mackey. And he says, there's moments where you get to scripture. And what the writer is wanting you to do is to just pause. I love that word, pause. And then he says, take a long walk. And in your long walk, you then just consider what you have read. We are in an age where we don't like to pause. We don't like to consider. We don't like to consume. Consume as much as possible, as quickly as possible. You know, you know it used to be a time where Twitter was enough on social media. You know, distill in 120, 150 characters what's going on in your life. Then it was like, maybe if we could do that with some photos, and so then Facebook came in, and it was like, oh yeah, let's do that with some photos, and that kind of gives us both. A bit of description, a bit of photos. Then it was like, no, 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 I need to consume more. So then Instagram arrives, and in that, you don't put anything. You show an image that reveals in all of its glory the wonder of your life. And as a quick aside, the saddest thing I heard of recently is a bunch of teenagers who Photoshop every photo they put online in order to show their life in the best light it has. At that point, you've got to think, we've got a question, what are we doing? But at the moment, we're kind of like, all right, images, what's going to be next? Because we're like, I've, I've had enough. I need to consume more. No, no, the right of the Bible, like, no, isn't just simply consuming, it's understanding. It's allowing it to grapple and, and get hold of it in order that it gets hold of you. So in it, when we hear these descriptions of Jesus, it's in order that we'd see with clarity who he is. So I kind of like briefly describe it. This isn't it. This is like the taster. Because John says, go on, take the walk. See Jesus clearly as the teacher, the rabbi, the teacher with divine wisdom. Consider his teaching. 
and read the Sermon of the Mount. Consider it amazing teaching. Not earthly wisdom, divine wisdom. Consider Jesus, whose name means he will save the people from their sins. Consider his name. And that's a worth a walk, isn't it? Take a walk around the corner. Take a walk for 20 minutes just thinking, the name of Jesus means he saves. It's enough. The name. The light of the world that he illuminates all. Now, as I said, we haven't got time to go into this in detail. I'm, I'm going to give you the breadcrumb trail that you're to then follow. Say, hey, I need to just wrestle with this. Take the long walk. Allow the wonder of Jesus and the clarity of which I'm invited to see him to take root in my life. That he's the prophet. He's the one who hears and speaks God's word, but also is heard by God. He's the Messiah. He's the king that rescues and delivers into his kingdom. That promised king from the line of David who is going to reign eternally with justice, mercy, and goodness and love forever. That's who he is. Surely that's worth considering. What kind, of, what kind of kingdom does he have? Does he build? Revelation 21, 22 starts to paint the picture of what that kingdom looks like when it's fully established. He's the son of man. This is one of those ways that Jesus refers to himself, but it's perplexing. To be honest, this is the hardest one to distill into just a kind of sentence. He's the one who is promised to suffer, but will be vindicated by God and enthroned by God. Now, this is one where you have to properly take a long walk. This isn't one where you're going to, yeah, son of man, fine, done it. No, no, this is one where you have to go, son of man, what is that going about? And you watch a Bible project video on it, it will help you, son of man. But you start off in Daniel 7, where there's this image that Daniel has of one who seems to be human, who comes to take on the powers that are seeking to enslave the world, and is suffered suffers with them and by them, and yet through their suffering is actually elevated on a cloud to a throne before God. And it's like, what? And it's pointing to who Jesus is, that Jesus will suffer, and it will look like at the cross he is defeated. And yet actually the cross becomes his throne where he is enthroned above everything and has victory over everything, including death. Because he's the son of man. One who is human but divine, who's come and vindicated by God to bring all of humanity into God's presence. Man, that's, I'm still not doing it justice. We haven't got time for me to do it justice. Because I'm saying the point is we're going to grapple with this together and by ourselves and go for the long walk and say, hey, what does it mean that Jesus is the Son of Man? And then it's Jesus is the Lord. And we sing that lots. Lord. The one who has power, authority, and ownership. We could actually add a, a different word. We could put in the one who has supreme, the one who has ultimate power, authority, and ownership over everything. And John says, are you seeing Jesus? Because when his light comes, it illuminates the wonder of who he is. And this is who he is, because as you start to discover that, you then think, if he doesn't say he's the son of God, no, it doesn't. Because it's implicit in all of it. The one who is all of this has to be the one that is sent by God, who is God, who is there at the beginning, will be there at the end, and is the son. And then it causes you to then kind of 
draw all of the strands together and realize, oh yeah, well, John is saying in chapter three that for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Oh, because all of this is out of love. The wonder of who Jesus is. Do you see him? Or do we allow it just to be a surface level? Because the invitation here is to keep taking the long walk, allowing the wonder of who Jesus is to become clearer in our being. Because as we do that, it causes us to be seeing with transformation or seeing that transforms. So that's what happens to this guy who's blind. You see, he's blind and he can see, and there's not enough time to look at the story. It is a comedy story. There's lots of black humor in there. I love it that he's brought forward. We don't know if he is the man. Let's bring his parents in. Well, he is our son, and he didn't used to be able to see. How he is able to see, we, we don't know. Better ask him. He comes in. I've already told you. Oh, do you want to believe? Of course they don't want to believe. But it's all there. But what happens then at the end is that, yes, he goes from blindness to sight in the physical but there comes this greater transformation that John wants us to get hold of, that in that moment where it feels like he's lost everything, Jesus comes and meets with him and reveals the wonder of who he is. So he now sees what G- who Jesus is, not just what Jesus had done. And there's a transformation that goes on. You see, he's transformed to be one that what? Well, he worships. Just says that. Sees Jesus and worships. He can't help but see, Jesus, who you are is amazing. Worship that sense of, I now cause the being of who I am to celebrate in who you are. And all of us worship something. And here in this moment, this guy is just left, well, with who I see of you and what I see of you. And I'll say, all of who I am, I want to honor you and celebrate you. It then causes him to say, now you're my Lord. Remember that Lord? Oh, you're the one who's supremely powerful, who has all authority and ownership. <sighs> Don't like that word. 21st century. We're individuals. Like from, from birth, we're told, no, 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 we are the masters of our own destiny. No one else has ownership over us. And yet the core of who Jesus is, is no, I'm the owner. I'm the owner of your life. But I'm not an owner who's going to do you harm. Remember the wonder of who Jesus is. No, I'm an owner who's going to do you good. See, when the daybreak comes, and we're on that holiday, and the morning comes, and we look outside, and we suddenly realize, this is going to be good. It transformed about everything, about who Lucy and I were from a point the evening before of thinking, do we just drive back to Birmingham because we don't like the country the best of times and this is just awful, middle of nowhere, nothing, to a point of this is going to be good. And the kids loved it. It transformed everything about who we are and that's what it's meant to be. As we see who Jesus is, it's meant to transform who we are. They realize my life is not my own anymore, it's yours, Jesus. You've got ownership of it. Therefore, what you say goes, not what I say. Which then breeds another thing that we don't like talking about, cost. See, the guy's parents 
They knew what the cost was. The cost of saying who Jesus was, was you got cast out of the synagogue. Now, at that point, you think, big deal, can't go to the synagogue. No, no, that's where the whole of community life was being worked out. And therefore, to be banished from the synagogue meant you basically just got to move from town. You're not any, any more part of that community. This guy, seeing Jesus, knows what the cost is, says there's no other way. And so he says, I'm not going to say anything different. And the cost is he's banished. There is a cost in following Jesus. There's a cost sometimes that will be misunderstood. There's a cost sometimes we have to say to no to things that we think, but that's going to be so good. And then we theorize, no, Jesus, you've got ownership of me. Therefore, I pay the cost of denial because what you offer is so much better. Here's the deal, though. When does Jesus turn up to reveal the wonder of who he is? When the guy pays the cost? See, when we pay costs, Jesus doesn't leave us alone. He comes alongside us and provides everything for us. See, seeing Jesus clearly will transform who we are or transform us in terms of our worship, but it must transform us in terms of our lordship and in terms of the cost. But it doesn't end just there with us. It then is seeing that redefines I want us to see this because seeing that redefines changes how we see the world around us, how we see the circumstances we face. See, this, the story starts in a way that's a bit uncomfortable because we find out this guy is blind, and the first question that Jesus' friends ask him was, are, why? Why is he blind? Is it because he did something wrong or his parents did something wrong that was outside of God's best? And then a bit later on in the story, we're going to find that religious leaders then say about this guy, oh yeah, the only reason you think the things you do and say the things you do is because actually you're someone who is a sinner. You're someone who is curved outwards from God and all you're ever going to do is outside of God's best. And that's why you've lived the life that you have. See, Jesus is drawn into this question saying, surely... The question in terms of suffering, the question in terms of the circumstances we're facing, or this question in terms of the darkness that's around, surely it has to be why. <clears throat> why is it like this? Why is that person having to deal with it? And Jesus doesn't even get drawn on it. He says, that's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. N.T. Wright helps us to ask and see the better question. Because what Jesus does here is he redefines how we get to see the darkness, how we get to see suffering. So N.T. Wright says this, at the start of the book of Genesis, God was faced with chaos. He didn't waste time describing the chaos, analyzing it, or discussing whose fault it was. Instead, he created light. And following the light, a whole new world. The chaos and misery of this present world is, it seems, the raw material out of which the loving, wise, and just God is making his new creation. 
I often find myself in situations where I can't answer why. But I wonder if I'm not many. I wonder if in seeing clearly the wonder of who Jesus is, in seeing transformed the wonder of how Jesus transforms me, it causes me then to be seeing redefined in how I see my circumstances in the world around. I've been able to see that this is an opportunity, not for me to say, well, why is that happening, but rather Jesus, in this moment, as I see darkness and chaos, as I see suffering and pain, I realize that this is the kind of situation where you're able to bring in the multicolored nature of your amazing kingdom and your new creation. That's what Jesus does here. He says, no, this isn't a moment to ask, why has this happened? But rather, this is a moment to say, no, now my new creation can be birthed here. I don't know why some of us are going through the suffering we are, but what I do know is that Jesus longs to come with the wonder of his kingdom that one day will fill this earth into the reality of what we have. And for some of us, that means that Jesus wants to come and bring his eternal comfort to us. As we're told, that's there in Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear that he longs to come and comfort I also believe that we need to also know that he's the one who will also come to comfort. And he's also going to be the one that comes and takes away the pain and the suffering because he is able to heal. I think he's also the one who comes where we look at the darkness around us and say, hey, but why has that happened? He's also the one who comes to bring his justice and his mercy. And that we're called to therefore look and not allow the darkness to overcome us, but rather realize that, no, we know the light that's coming to overcome. And if we realize, as it gets darker, as there's things that we question, we realize, no, this is the territory that God has always loved to reveal the wonder of his new creation and to allow that to start to break in. Can I make one quick note, though? Because... In the NIV, it kind of translates something not very well. It kind of picks out as though Jesus is referring to the fact that this guy is suffering and has been born blind in order that God could be glorified. In other words, God had caused him to be blind in order that, God could be, that Jesus could heal him and God could be glorified. That's not a good translation. Again, if we looked a couple of weeks ago, the, there was no punctuation uh, in the original letter. And so... Those that are seeking to interpret what's written are trying to make sense of it and help us understand it. Whereas I think Gary Burge in his commentary helps us understand more of what I think is being pointed to here. So Gary Burge says this, a better translation would be, but so that the work of God might be displayed in his life, we must do the work of him who sent me while it is still day. The purpose, cause, now explains that Jesus must work so that God's work may be displayed in the man's life. God has not made the man blind in order to show his glory. Rather, God has sent Jesus to do works of healing in order to show his glory. That's really important. 
God doesn't make people unwell in order that he can then come in and say, now I can be glorified. That's not what's going on here. That's not what's being pointed to here. No, God is glorified within situations where he's able to bring healing. And the point here, therefore, was the urgency of Jesus being able to operate in what God had called him to do. That God had brought him into this situation of suffering and darkness and chaos. And Jesus was able to step in as light to bring the wonder of his kingdom to this individual. And in the same is true for us, that as we find ourselves in situations where we think, I don't know what's going on here. It feels dark and chaotic and suffering. We too then get to know Jesus using us to step into those situations in order that his kingdom can break out, in whatever way that his will is, in order that God will be glorified. I think it's really important. I just feel like I just linger for this moment. For some of you, you do need to hear, God isn't the cause of your suffering in some warped way that he would be glorified. But God wants to step in to your suffering in order to reveal something more of his kingdom, the byproduct of which will cause him to be glorified. It's a subtle but massive difference. See, the invitation is to see. And in in seeing, I want to leave us with a few questions to ask in small groups of kind of the how then. How are we going to seek to see Jesus more clearly? How are we going to seek to allow Jesus to transform our lives? How are we going to seek to see Jesus redefine our circumstances in the world around us? But today, I just want to finish by praying for us. I just want to pray for us that wherever we're at, that Jesus would come and meet with us. I just recognize for some of us, it feels like it's dark, It's chaotic, and we know what it feels like to suffer. And Jesus isn't absent from that place. But rather, that's the kind of environment that God comes into to bring the wonder of his kingdom, which is full of peace, love, justice, comfort, and healing. So should we stand? I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll end. Jesus, I want to pray for each of us that we would know more and more what it is to see you clearly. And I pray, Jesus, would we see you clearly, clearer, day by day. I pray we'd be those that keep ourselves going on the longer walk to see more of the wonder of who you are. And I pray as we do that, I pray that you'd cause us as a company of people to therefore live in response to who we see you are. Of those who seek to worship seek to allow you to be the Lord of our lives and are willing to pay the cost. I just felt, just for some here, just in that moment, you know today, before you go, you need to speak to someone and say, I know I've been compromising. I know I've taken back some of the lordship, some of the ownership, and I just want to give it back to Jesus. Or maybe for the first time you want to say, I want to give Jesus the ownership of my life. And 
You can come and speak to me or speak to someone you know and love and trust. Just feel like that's really important. But I want to pray now for those of you who just know what it is to be living in darkness with suffering where it feels chaotic. And I just want to pray that Jesus would come into that situation as he's the God who always has and always will. Jesus, I know that you are one who's able to speak into every single situation in this room. And I thank you, you're one who's able to bring new life into it. And Jesus, I don't know what that looks like, but I know that you do. And I thank you that there is never one size fits all. I thank you that you come and you bring about the wonder of your new creation into every situation. And I pray for many in this room who feel like I I can't even pray it. God, I, I pray on their behalf. I stand with them and I speak hope. And I pray, God, that both now and as this moment continues, I pray there would be a breaking out more and more each day of the hope that you bring, of this new life, this new creation. And I pray, God, that your light would break. I ask that for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Thank you.